What is a deacon? Currently, we have 11 men that we have their names put before us to be considered for the work of deacons. And I thought in light of that, it would be appropriate that we talk about this today. You know, the fact that we need deacons is indicative of the fact that we have activity going on because deacons are workers. Deacons are servants. Being a deacon is not just a title that you wear. It's not just a reward. It's not just a pat on the back to say, uh, this is a good guy. It's not a popularity contest. A man is not uh, a deacon because he's so good looking. That ought to be obvious by our choice of deacons, right? Uh, a man is not made a deacon because he has a lot of money. He's not made a deacon because he's got a good sense of humor or because he's one of the good old boys. A man is made a deacon because he meets certain qualifications that are laid out in the Bible and because he possesses the skills to perform that particular work that needs performing. And oftentimes, some of the works of a deacon are not prestigious, they're not glamorous. In fact, oftentimes they are menial jobs that deacons are doing. But the fact that a congregation has deacons is indicative of the fact that there is work being done because dead churches don't need deacons. Alright, first I want to begin today, what is a deacon? You can see I have the Greek word up here. The Greek word for deacon is diakonos. And the word is a very interesting word in and of itself because it is used in reference in the New Testament to a lot of different people. In fact, in Romans chapter 13 and verse 4, you find the word diakonos. It is translated there as minister, and it's not even talking about a member of the church. It is talking there about a civil authority. He is a minister of God. And that's all the word diakonos means, one who is a minister, one who serves, one who is a servant. And so civil governors, civil, uh, a police officer, according to the biblical definition, the Bible would describe him as a diakonos. He is a servant of God, a minister of God. And so we've got to keep in mind this is a rather generic word. In Romans 15, I, let's see, yeah, Romans 13 and verse 4, you've got a civil individual being called a minister. In Romans 15 and verse 8, are you ready for this one? The Lord Jesus Christ is referred to as a diakonos. Now, of course, it's not translated as deacon there. It's translated as minister, but it, it is this same word. A police officer is described as a diakonos. The Lord Jesus Christ is a diakonos. In Romans 16 and verse 1, you have a female. Phoebe, our sister, is described as a diakonos. That is, she is a servant of the church. Now, isn't that very interesting because the same Greek word that you find talking about the office of a deacon is sometimes used to describe the Lord. It's sometimes used to describe a woman. In 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 5, Paul and Apollos are referred to as diakonos. That is, they are servants or they are deacons of the church. Now, this can be very confusing because how can Jesus and a woman be deacons? How can a person who's not even a member of the Lord's church 
be considered a deacon? How is that possible? And the solution is, as I already mentioned it, the word deacon is just a generic word. It's a word that means a servant or a minister. And in the Bible, it is used in two different ways. In the New Testament, you first had the office of a deacon, and the description of that is 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. And then you've got the generic sense of a deacon. Oftentimes, I've heard people try to argue for female deacons, and they go to Romans 16 and they say, see, Phoebe is described as a diakonos, and so if we say women can't be deacons, well, we're just being contradictory to the Bible. Well, we're going to see that that is nonsense. She is a deacon in the sense of a servant. All right, what a deacon is not. First, a deacon is not an elder. A deacon is not an overseer. In the New Testament, elders are called overseers, pastors, shepherds. A deacon is not any of those things. In 1 Timothy 3, you have qualifications for elders and you have qualifications of deacons, and it is two separate lists. The elders are described as those who rule the church well. Not so with deacons, because deacons are not the overseers of the church. You know, sometimes in various religions, you will see them set up the church under a board of deacons. That is, they will have deacons who are the overseers of the church. That is totally without biblical authority. The word deacon is not the same as elder. It's not the same as presbyter. It's not the same as bishop. A deacon is simply a servant or minister over a particular work. Secondly, a deacon is not a junior elder. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the reason I put this in here is I think some people view it this way. They view that being an elder or being a deacon is step number one, and then being an elder is step number two. It's almost like a rank progression you would have in the military, but it's not that way. The fact of the matter is you've got two totally different sets of qualifications, and so a man might be a deacon and he might be a deacon his whole life until he's old and dies and he might never serve as an elder. It also could be the case that a man might become an elder and he had never served as a deacon because they are two different roles. There's really no more correlation between a deacon and an elder than there is between a preacher and an elder. And just because a man is a deacon doesn't mean he is going to one day be an elder. Now, oftentimes it happens that way because you've got good godly men who become deacons and then as they get older they have the qualifications of elders. So sometimes it does happen that way, but it doesn't have to be that way. And a deacon is not a junior elder. Next, a deacon is not a woman. A deacon cannot be a woman. Now, I think years ago this didn't used to be such a problem, but it is growing into a problem in our society because in the last 30 or 40 years we've had this gender equality movement where um, the world is creeping into the church and people are trying to make arguments even from the Bible like Phoebe, like I just mentioned, but in reference to women, a lot of churches are pressing this matter. Can a woman be an elder? Can a woman be a deacon? Can a woman be a preacher? And there are some, even in the Lord's church, 
who are starting to push the envelope on this. I'm starting to see some churches that will have female ministers listed on their staff and some that even have women who are preaching. It is totally without biblical authority. One of the things that you find in the qualifications of deacons and elders in 1 Timothy chapter 3 is that they both must be married, they both must be the husband of one wife. A woman can't be the husband of one wife. Now again, 1 Timothy 3 is talking about the office of a deacon, and if a man, if a person's going to be qualified to fill the office of a deacon, he must be the husband of one wife, so he cannot be a woman. Now, I want to go through the qualifications rather quickly. There are ten of them, and uh, so we can't spend a lot of time on each one, but um, we'll, we'll mention each of the ten, and if you've got questions or you've got comments, just stop me and we will go. All right, the first qualification is that a deacon must be reverent. The King James Version uses the word grave. The New King, the, uh, New King James says reverent. The Old King James says grave. The ESV say, says dignified. Now, what does that mean, reverent, grave, uh, dignified? If you hear about a person who's grave, what do you think of? <clears throat> yeah, they're serious. Um, I think that the old King James Version has kind of lost something in the translation here because if you think about somebody who's grave today, you think that they're kind of stodgy. You know, they have no sense of humor, and um, that's not what this is saying. This doesn't mean that a, a man who's a deacon has to be serious all the time, he can't joke. Uh, that's not at all. Uh, the New King James uses the word reverent. The ESV says uh, dignified. What it means is this. He is serious about serious things. It means when it comes to the church and it comes to the souls of men, he's serious about those things. You know, in Matthew 13, 45, the Bible says, "...the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man who is seeking goodly pearls, who when he finds a pearl of great price..." That is, he's out seeking pearls and he finds one that's worth a lot of money, a very valuable pearl. He sells everything that he has and he buys it. He recognizes that this pearl is very valuable and so he gets serious about this thing. He sells everything. He's as serious as serious can be because it is important to him. That's what a deacon is. The church is that important to him. It's a serious thing to him. His life is about this. And so he's not lighthearted about the church. He's not going to just skip services. He's not going to uh, treat his responsibilities as a light thing. This really means he's, he's reverent, he's dignified, he's serious about spiritual matters. Any uh, questions or comments about that one? All right, here's the next one. He can't be double-tongued. Now, the, the old King James says double tongue. The Greek word here is very interesting, and it means to tell a story twice in different ways. Have you ever known a person who would tell a story two different times to two different people, but he would tell it differently depending on who he's talking to? What do you say about a person like that?
<laughs> he's double-tongued, yeah, he's a liar. You know, the, uh, the old Indian phrase used to be that he speaks with a forked tongue. That's exactly what we're talking about here. He's got two tongues. He tells things uh, differently depending on who he's talking to. And it might be that he puts a different spin on it for one person than he does the other. What we're talking about is a person that's just honest. He's got credibility. A man who is going to be a deacon always tells the truth. You can count on him to always shoot straight. He's a person that if he tells you something, you believe it. That's his character. So if you've got a man who's um, not a trustworthy, truthful individual, he's not deacon material. Here's the next one. <clears throat> not given to much wine. Now, people have made a big deal about this one because they'll say, well, he can't be given to much wine. And so what they try to do out of this is focus on the word much. And they say, well, a deacon can't be given to much wine, but verse 3 says that an elder can't have any wine. And so you conclude from that that a deacon could be a, a social drinker. You know, he could drink some, he can have a beer every now and then, so long as he doesn't overdo it because he can't be given to much wine, and they say that implies that he can be given to a little wine. That is absolute nonsense. There are several things I want to point out about this. Everybody believes that drunkenness is wrong. Uh, everyone who believes the Bible believes that drunkenness is wrong. And if a person's going to hold this position that we're arguing, he's going to have to deny that there are degrees of drunkenness. He would have to believe that deacons could drink a certain amount and not be drunken to any extent. And I think that contradicts both the biblical definition of drunkenness and the scientific definition of drunkenness, which we can talk about on another day. Secondly, it's interesting to notice that it is said about both elders and deacons in verse 2 for elders, verse 11 for deacons. <coughs> Excuse me. Some of these medicines I'm taking got me so dried out, but that they must be sober. Elders and deacons must be sober. The New King James uses the word temperate. The Greek word here is sophron. This word implies one whose mind is free from the influence of intoxicants. And it's speaking in a figurative sense there. It's a person whose mind is not affected, his mind is clear, it's not clouded. And so, how can a deacon have the mindset of one who is free from any intoxicants and at the same time be a social drinker? That doesn't make any sense. You've got a contradiction there. I would also ask this question. If the Bible said that a man can't be addicted to heroin, would you conclude from that that he can use heroin recreationally as long as he is not addicted to it? Would that be a reasonable, a reasonable conclusion? Think about this. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 7 in the King James it says this, that a man should not be overmuch wicked. Now, if you shouldn't be overmuch wicked, does that imply that it's okay to be a little bit wicked? Isn't that the same argument? How about this? James chapter 1 and verse 21, the Bible says, 
Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflowing of wickedness. Does that mean you can have wickedness so long as it's not overflowing? Isn't that the same argument? You, you see, I think that the point that people are making, well, I'll hold the conclusion for just a second. I think if a man drinks moderately or a man drinks socially, he's also going to have a problem with verse 10 where it says that to be a deacon he must be blameless. Vine's Expository Dictionary says about the word blameless, it implies not merely an acquittal, but the absence of even a charge or an accusation against a person like this. If a person is a drinker, he's going to lay himself open to blame and charge and accusation. The point is this, the conclusion is this, if you see a prohibition of a big thing, that is not license of a little thing. That's the way they're reasoning. Because something big is being prohibited, they assume something less is being uh, allowed. And that is not the way the Bible works. There, there aren't examples of that. That is not proper biblical exegesis. Alright? Any questions about that one? Alright, here's the next one. Not greedy for money. What does that mean? <clears throat> I ask because it's so obvious, it means he's not greedy for money. <laughs> uh, I like the old King James here because the old King James says that he doesn't uh, want filthy lucre. Filthy lucre. That greedy for money, filthy lucre, that, that just sounds dirty, filthy lucre. What it means is he's not after money in such a way that he's going to get it in an ungodly way. That is, it's filthy lucre. It's ill-gotten gain. The principle here is this. If a man's qualified to be a deacon, he's not a covetous man. He is not after money. That is not his number one goal. He would not cheat another person if he had a chance, no matter how much money he could make on the deal, because that's not what he's about. If he had a deal where he thought, well, if I just conceal this one fact, you know, I could double my money. He's not going to do it because his soul is more important to him than money is. You know, I remember years ago, <clears throat> we were living in Alabama, and I went to purchase a pickup truck. And um, I used, before my accident, I used to buy and sell a lot of cars. And so I'm driving down the road. There's a truck on the side of the road for sale, and Sherry says, oh, no. And so I stop and look at it, and by the next day, I'm buying it. So... Anyway, it was $3,000 for this old used pickup truck. And the way they did it in Alabama was however much you paid for the truck, that's the amount you paid taxes. It was based on that. And different states do it differently. But um, anyway, so we went. The man said, I've got a friend who's a notary. He said, we can get him to do the paperwork for us. And so when we went to the notary, he was doing the paperwork and he said, um, how much did you pay for the truck? And I said, 3000 He said, would you like me to write 2000 on the paperwork? And I said, why? And he said, um, it would save you a little bit in taxes when you go to pay your taxes. And I said, ah. I said, if he wants to sell it to me for 2000 then that would be fine. But otherwise, write 3000 You know why? Because my soul is more important to me 
than a few dollars in taxes. My soul was more important to me than any amount of money. That's the kind of person the deacon's got to be. When it comes to doing his taxes, there might be things he can fudge figures here and there and save dollars. I'm all about saving tax dollars, but it has to be legitimate that you're going to do it, not uh, shady areas. Uh, if a man is like this, then he cannot uh, be a deacon. A deacon is going to be one that you can trust to count the money because he's always honest about money. His integrity with money has never been in question. Here is the next. Hold any questions about the money? Okay. Next, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. Now the phrasing of this is a little bit odd, but basically what it means is this. He holds the truth of the New Testament with a pure conscience. What would it mean to say that someone lives with a pure conscience? Okay, he doesn't regret the way he's living. It means he's a, a sincere Christian. If a person lives in a pure conscience, it means he does his best to be faithful, and he does his best to do what he believes is right. He doesn't compromise his own convictions. He is a person that, even though you know, there might be, it's like Romans chapter 14 talks about matters of faith, matters of conscience, and there specifically it's talking about eating of meats offered to idols. And Paul says that we know that an idol is nothing. One man might uh, be able to eat meat that was offered to an idol. It doesn't offend his conscience a bit because he says, that's nothing. But this other man says, you know, I just can't do it. You know, to me, I know that it's technically not right, but it offends my conscience. So if he went ahead and did it, he'd violate his own conscience. And he technically might not have done anything wrong, except that he violated his own conscience. A man who's a deacon is one who follows the Word of God and he lives in a pure conscience. That's important because this is a man who uh, holds himself accountable not only to the Word of God, but also to his own conscience. When a person has matters of conviction and matters of conscience like that, that usually is a person who has a very high degree of morality. Sometimes I've had people that have asked me, uh, why don't you do so-and-so on, on this business or this agreement? And I'll say, you know, I just don't feel comfortable with that. And they'll say, no, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm telling you, it's, it's all good. And I, w I would say, you know, just for my sake of conscience, I can't do this. Some people will force you and push you, and others will appreciate that. But when I've had people say that sort of thing to me, just for my personal conscience, I just can't do that. I, I say, okay, and I drop it, and I go on, and it makes me think, that's a good guy because that's a person who, even though it could benefit them, just for their own sake of conscience, they won't do it. That's the kind of person a deacon is. All right? Next, he must first be tested. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 10. It's interesting that verse 6 says about an elder that he can't be a novice. Uh, the word novice is from a Greek phrase that means newly planted. In other words, he can't be a new convert. Now about deacons, it doesn't say that he can't be a novice, but it makes a similar statement 
and that is he must first be tested. It says, uh, one version says, he must first be proved. In fact, the text reads this way, and let these also be proved. What is the idea that, um, what, what's the idea mean that he must first be tested? How would you put that in your own words? Okay, his faith has been tested, and we've seen it. We've seen this man live his life. We've seen that he, he shines through as the type of character that he ought to be. Um, I believe that he's saying this, as the elders have been Christians for a period of time before being qualified, deacons also have to be proved. They're not new converts. If you've got a man who is a new convert, he hasn't really been proven as a Christian. We don't really have time yet to know what his character is. We don't know if he'll be faithful under certain circumstances. He's first been proved. He's been around the block. He's been a Christian long enough that we can say, this guy is faithful. When you think about him being proved, what about attendance? He's been a Christian long enough that you can say, this guy's faithful in attendance. We can see that this guy isn't um, always mysteriously gone during the playoffs. He's been proved. Um, you can see that on his vacation, you, in fact, it would be known about him, does he give as he ought to? Well, he's been proved. Um, what about the way he talks and jokes and represents himself in public? He's been a Christian long enough that he's been proved. See, a new convert, we don't know that yet, but uh, it's also the case with the new convert that he's still got a lot of old worldly habits in him. You know, it just occurred to me, this is crazy sounding, but I just looked back at that picture. Doesn't the guy on the right look like Donald Trump? Doesn't his hair look like Donald Trump? But Talk about getting distracted, but I looked back there and I thought, man, that guy looks like Donald Trump. Um, now, what to, if, if anyone was dozing off, I'm just waking you up there. Um, so what does it mean? Some time has transpired. He's not a new convert. Um, also think this is the case. People can fool you for a short amount of time, but over a long period, people's true colors have a way of coming out. Wouldn't you agree with that? And this person has been a Christian long enough that we can see his true colors. All right, any questions? Next one. Being found blameless. The word blameless is also found in the qualifications of elders. We talked about it when we studied elders. That doesn't mean that he has to be sinlessly perfect. David Lipscomb said, uh, describing this qualification, these are men whose character is unimpeachable. They stand in high public estimation. They're known for their pure life and their spotless integrity. And so, if a man has a reputation for dishonesty, not deacon material. If he has foul humor, if he's a, a womanizer, if he's always making comments and flirting with the women, if he forsakes the assembly, he's not a qualification, he's not a, a, a candidate uh, for a deacon. And you can think of, of many things about a person. If, if he's the type that people say, he just gives me bad vibes. I just don't, something doesn't feel right. Then 
he's not going to be deacon material because to be found blameless carries with it the idea, not that he's sinlessly perfect, but he's held in high estimation. When people look at him, he reflects positively on the church. Here's the next one. Their wives must be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Now, this one is interesting because it is not stated about the wives of elders. In fact, there's nothing stated about the wives of elders. Why do you suppose that is? Why do elders not have this qualification? And it almost seems like uh, the deacons have a stricter qualification here. I don't really know the reasons why the Lord did it this way, but maybe it's because a man who is an elder, the Bible says, rules well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. Titus chapter 1 and verse 6 says that he has faithful children. Maybe the Lord in His infinite knowledge would understand that if a man has raised his children this way and his house is what it ought to be, then his wife is also faithful because he couldn't have done it by himself. And maybe that's what the implication is. Now, on the other hand, a deacon doesn't have to have all the qualifications that an elder has. He's not a shepherd of the flock. And so here's a man who is to be a deacon. This man, we've got to take specific, explicit uh, precautions about his wife. Because even though he might be faithful, we've got to check to be sure that his wife is faithful. Why is that? You, you might say, well, you know, we're asking the man to be a deacon, uh, not his wife. What, what difference does it make if my wife is faithful or not? Maybe a man's going to be uh, the deacon over cleaning the baptistry. We've had deacons over that. In fact, that's important to have a deacon that handles that because I've been in some churches and their baptistry is disgusting. I remember going to baptize a man in a, a particular baptistry and there were these, um, we used to call them like, uh, what were those things, cellar crickets? They're like uh, grasshoppers, crickets. They got the long, uh, I can't think what those things are called. But um, anyway, it had those dead all in the baptistry. It was disgusting. So it's good to have a deacon assigned to something. Now, you might say, here's a guy who's the deacon in charge of cleaning the baptistry. What difference does it make the character of his wife? Really? I mean, seriously, he cleans the baptistry. Who cares what his wife is like? So, look at verse 12. It says, For they who have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree. The American standard says a good standing. It has to do with their influence in the community. And the point is this. If you put a man into the office of a deacon immediately he becomes recognized in the community as a representative of the church in a way that's, that's different, it's expanded, it's um, higher than it would be for a normal Christian. Now what do I mean by that? They would say, well, he's a deacon in the church. Couldn't you hear somebody saying, well, um, that man, I saw him out doing so and so, and he's a deacon in the church. Why would they point out that he's a deacon in the church? 
see, even the world would hold that more serious. They, they understand that this is an exalted uh, position. And it's not to say if you're a deacon, you're an exalted one. But what it's saying is it's an honor to be a deacon. And it's viewed that way. And it is uh, viewed that the most honorable, the people who serve as deacons are supposed to be some of the most honorable Christian men. And so it is a compliment. Now, if his wife isn't faithful, the idea of him being of a good standing and a good influence and an honor to the community, that's going to be taken away. Now, can you give me some examples of what a man's wife might be like that could exclude him? What's that? Yeah, what if he had a wife who's a gossip? What if he had a wife that they said, this guy is a great deacon, but don't tell his wife anything? Would that hurt him? Yeah, in fact, it would disqualify him. Um, what if she is one who goes around tearing other people down? You know, some people tear others down to, eleva to elevate themselves. In fact, I think that's usually why people tear others down, is to elevate themselves. Somebody like that, not qualified to be a deacon. He might be the best man that you can find. He might be a faithful Christian man, and maybe he just picked an unfortunate choice for a mate. What can he do about that? In fact, I can think back over the years I've been in the church, probably you can too, that you can think of somebody. You can think, this was, um, this man is such a good man, and he's got such a sorry wife, and she's such a troublemaker. Um, I've known it the other way too. But in thinking about deacons, you might think, this is such a fine man. He's, he should be a deacon. If anybody should be a deacon, but he's got a sorry wife and his wife would disqualify him from being a deacon. And so what we're saying is she also has to be grave, she has to be faithful, she has to have a good reputation. All right, any questions about that one? All right, here is number nine. He must be the husband of one wife. Now, these words tell us a lot. First, they tell us he must be a man, a woman, cannot be the husband of one wife. Secondly, they tell us he must be married. Thirdly, they tell us that he can't be a polygamist. Now, that's not so much a problem in the United States, but it is a problem in other parts of the world, and it was a problem in the first century, especially in Gentile cultures. Um, even today in other parts of the world, we receive questions from people in Africa. They become members of the church, and they have multiple wives. And they're trying to figure out, what do we do with this now? A Christian cannot have multiple wives, is what he's telling us here. Now, this would not preclude a man whose wife died, and he remarried. If a man's wife died, she ceased to be his wife, and when he remarries, he's the husband of only one wife. Sometimes people have said, well, this is his second wife, and so he doesn't meet that qualification. They're not understanding the qualification. Likewise, this would not preclude a man who has scripturally put away his wife. His, his uh, wife committed adultery, fornication. He divorced her for that. The Lord views him as a single man, and then he marries a woman who has a scriptural right to be married. 
he has a scriptural marriage, he is also qualified. Any comments or questions about that? All right, here is number 10. Ruling their children and their own houses well. First, a deacon must have children. But here's the key distinction that I see between elders and deacons. Elders must rule their house well, and it's a measure of how they will rule the church. They must rule their own house well, 1 Timothy 3, 4, and it's a measure of how they will rule the church, 1 Timothy 3, 5. Deacons don't rule the church. And so their children are not going to be a measure of how they rule the church. Titus chapter 1 and verse 6 says that an elder must have faithful children. That is from the root word pistuo, from which we get the word believe. In fact, we talked about it at length. I think this is a reference to the fact that he must have uh, children who are Christians. And so an elder might have to be a little bit older. He's at least got children who are believers. That's not said about deacons. And so a deacon has to have children, but they might be younger children. They might not have reached the age of accountability yet. And so they're not Christians. That doesn't prevent him from being a deacon. Maybe there is a man who has been faithful, and maybe he and his wife have a two-year-old, and that's the only children they have. That still qualifies him to be a deacon. But it still says that he rules his house well. And so if he has, let's say that he has, five minutes, if, let's say that he has children, and uh, maybe teenagers, and they're belligerent, and they're always in trouble, and his family's got a bad reputation because of that, he's not ruling his, his house well. It could be that he's just got children who are going through a rebellious period in their teenage years, but because of that, he's not ruling his house well, and it's not going to ref reflect properly on the church, and that man should not be installed as a deacon. You know, it's interesting when you go down this list because most of these qualifications apply to all Christians, or they at least should be goals of all Christians. Certainly not all Christians have to be married, and not all Christians have to have uh, children, but it should be the goal of all Christians to have most of these things. Let me just summarize this and we'll wrap it up. To qualify as a deacon, a man is serious about spiritual things, he is honest, he does not drink alcohol in any quantities. He's not greedy. He's not all about money. He lives a faithful life with a good conscience. He's not a new convert, but he's proven his love for the church by faithful living. He doesn't have any accusations against him that could be sustained. He is married to one woman, and she is also faithful. And he has children, and he rules his house well. That's the qualifications of deacons. We've got 11 men whose names have been put forward. I think all of these 11 men are qualified or we wouldn't have put their names forward. And thus far, we haven't received any objections to any of these men. And if that remains the case when we leave here today, then tonight at the close of the service, we will be installing these men into the office of deacon. Any questions or comments about any of this? I know we went through that uh, rather quickly, but I wanted to cover it all in one class. So, 
All right, thank you very much. It's about two minutes until the kids get out, but uh, you can fellowship and talk, and uh, we'll see you back tonight.